Hey everybody, this is Joel Hookster of Whitesnake, and you're listening to Focus on Metal. Hey, Metalheads, Scott Thompson here, welcoming you to another episode of Focus on Metal. And again this week, Richie back in the studio. How yeah. you doing, man? Let out again for good behavior. Uh, I'm always staying in for bad behavior. <laughs> <laughs> Can't trust my ass to leave the house. Nope. Get into shit. Nope. Uh, yeah, anyways, uh, good show this week. It's kind of, uh, it's kind of a couple weeks of, uh, of Richie interviews. As, uh, Richie uh, had this great idea to call up Joe Holster and... Talk about 1987, the year in review, out of nowhere. <laughs> um, okay, we a lot of other podcasts do uh, year in review shows. We yeah, and Decimal Geek does great yeah. ones. Yeah, uh, if you ever want to know the price of bacon in a particular year, listen to that year yeah, in review. We You'll find it. We don't normally do them. Yeah, um, and, and that and, and the thing is, and too, that's is fine. They do them so good. Yeah, like wh- why do it any? You know, why even try to go into that direction because. You can't top what they do. Yeah. That's, it's just done so well. Like, just leave it alone, you know? Well, I said um, when we came back after Christmas that I'd like to do things on the show a little bit differently. Um, one of the things with the Kerrang! project is not to bank all the audio, so we're yeah. trying to space that out a little bit. It seems to be working pretty well. Uh, we do have the regular interviews as well. Um, I'm trying to get out there to do more in-persons. Yeah. And uh, that seems to be going pretty well so far. Um, And some more discussion episodes that are a little bit off the beaten path that aren't uh, talking about a new album and what was this guy like and what was your producer like, blah, blah, blah. And it's very, very focused on, on, on one album that they're doing now and they're on tour promoting it or whatever. Right. So... 1987 was the year I really got into hard rock. Mm. Um, and there was some massive albums that year. Um, and, uh, you know, I decided, like, Joel Hoekstra, I think he was on, um, I think it was on the double stop with Brian Sword, or I heard him on another interview when he did, he did like, a career chat. And he was talking about how massive a hard rock fan he was uh, growing up, that all these bands were, like, were big, big influences yeah. on him. And, of course, we had him on the show when he did the Dying to Live album. And uh, I also knew that around now he'd also done some uh, live, a live performance on the Monsters of Rock Cruise. Yep. And I wanted to talk to him about that because a lot of these Frontiers albums, um, they never get to perform live. Right. Um, well, some of them are actually starting to do it a little bit more than they used to. And uh, he was able to do it on the cruise, and I wanted to talk to him about that, like how it came about logistically, that he was able to actually get everyone on the boat right, and, yeah. and do it. And we got into that a little bit. But there's a lot of albums in 87 that I wanted to talk to Joel about. Of course, one of them was Whitesnake's 1987. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I talked a little bit about that, and we, you know, Hysteria came out, Appetite for Destruction, Pernification, and some albums he knew a little bit more than others. Uh-huh. And uh, yeah, I spoke to him for about 20, 25 minutes about yeah. it. And it was good. It was nice to, you know, he, we were talking about George Lynch and we talked about, you know, Michael Shanker. And yeah, I mean, Joel it was just, Satriani it was such an interesting and, premise on doing it. And it was like, well, that's kind of, 
it's kind of different. But what's bizarre is that you got someone like Joel who's like, yeah, I'll, I'll call in and talk about 1987 with you. Yeah. Um, which is great. I mean, it's a, he's not promoting anything and he's willing to take the time to do it. And it's like, yeah, okay, I know you guys. All right, you know. And, Some uh, people might say I'm a fucking idiot for doing it because <laughs> I should only get people on who wanted to promote new stuff. But hey. No, it, I, don't, I don't think so. I, I think that this is, uh, I mean, it's... It's a discussion show. It started as a discussion show, and you're having a discussion. I think it's a great concept, and, and I think there's a lot of people that enjoy the fact that you, we do more than just interview after interview. I mean, you go back to, to, to Decibel Geek again. I mean, people, they don't listen to DB Geek to, for interview after interview. They, they listen for the discussion and, and all of that, and, and they have like, you know even the, all the offbeat kiss things that you wouldn't expect and so i think i think it's a, it's a good change up as yeah, opposed to just a dry always interview i don't want to do interview after interview yeah. i think we've done it for too long now um we still get hit up for interviews and we we still have audio probably for another month no not really do we not well that's no. fu- well if we don't that's that's fantastic but um like there's there's some other discussion ideas I have. Like there's some other Kerrang, yeah, guys that we I, we got to get on and, yeah. and keep but remember, that going. We still have to do the interview stuff because again, part of the whole thing we talk about it in the prior show is is promoting new music. Yeah, and the way to do that is to let artists come on and talk. And fortunately, for a lot of what we do, we don't do the same. You know. What was this? How'd you do this? You know, blah 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 blah. That that you know these radio idiots do. It's they, we get into different shit with them, and we kind of go on different paths, and people get a better sense of it. And and I think it's a little different. And so I don't ever want to not do that because it is a good way to promote what's out there. Yeah, yeah, I think that's the way to go. It mix it up a little bit more. Um, you know, the crying thing is going down very very well. Um. I got a nice, uh, I got a nice email yesterday from Xavier oh. saying Malcolm Dome listened to it and he thought it was very very funny. <laughs> so I think um, I think Malcolm hopefully is sharing it with the rest of the guys. Great. Um, I have two more yeses. I think it's, again now it's a case of scheduling. The yeah. problem with the Kerrang thing is they're all in England, right? Uh, well, n- not all of them, but n- most, most of them. them. Yeah. And um, that's a weekend thing for us. Right. And it, that can be a little bit tricky for them because they probably want to get it done during the day, during the week, and we can't do that at the moment. So, right. Um, but we'll struggle on. And uh, so, yeah, we've got some, you know, I have this discussion idea that you did with Jay about five years ago that I've always wanted to return to. So that's still on the... Oh really? Still on the forefront. Yeah, it's it's. A, I I don't think I've ever I've ever heard another show do it properly. Huh? You did it with Jay, and I think he was unfamiliar with a lot of it. Huh. And when I listened to it, it was like, damn! It was oh, you knew what you were talking about. He wasn't very familiar with the uh, oh. with the topic. So for the last four and a half years, <laughs> I've been wanting to revisit that. But um, we will we'll do it eventually. Um, you know, hopefully in the next few months and get it done. Okay. Um, but yeah, this I've I've got it. Like I have the new. What have I got new? I've got the new KXM album. I've been listening to that. Um, that's pretty. I mean, that's pretty varied, right? I like Breakout. I really like Breakout. Probably because it's got really strong, like George Rent Lynch riffs going on in there and stuff, and and you know, 
Scatterbrain, well, it's kind of got more. There's a little bit of fusion going on, so I like that one. What's the latest one they just released? Uh, I can't oh, think I, of what it is. but I it, think there's three or four songs out but there. But I mean, it's got a great riff, and then it just switches. And then it kind of loses me a little bit. That so, debut album was big for Rat Pack. Yeah. That was probably one of the biggest albums yeah. they've had in the last few years. Yeah. And then, of course, you know, you know we talk about Rat Pack, and uh, there's a new Metal Church live, live coming out. You can get pre-order on that as well. So uh, yeah, I'll get great someone, stuff on I'll that. I'll get someone on from Metal Church. Yeah. So I'll that's, pro- I'll try, maybe I'll try and get Kurt on this time. We had Mike on the last time. Yeah. Well, Mike was great. Yeah, he was, he was good. Um, I met him in uh, in September. That's right, you did. Backstage with all the band, Kurt, yep. Jeff played the whole lot of them, drinking beer with him. Yeah. What, nicest, nicest guys you can meet. Yeah. Just so really nice. I think that's, you know, I think Rat Pack is doing a great job. They're hitting it out of the park with a lot of these things, which is awesome. Yeah, they've got know? a song on it, um, Fake Healer, I think it's got Todd LaTorre singing with yeah, Mike on it. Yeah, yeah, So that's a, that's a nice touch. Yep, absolutely. That's so, cool stuff. So yeah, so I think Metal Church are doing, I think they're doing some shows around now too promote that so yeah well, that'd yeah. be cool yeah I think um, what, what, what else is coming out anything else I've lost Who's track got? I've lost track like between, between work and all the crap that's happened in my personal life I've lost track <laughs> I'm gonna find my way home every night but yeah oh yeah we have to do the next Saxon too oh yeah <laughs> some good feedback on the Charlie one did you oh yeah got some great feedback on awesome it. yeah that, that was good though fuck it. <laughs> the, thing, the thing with producers sometimes and we haven't really had a bad experience with, with them but we've never spoken to Charlie before or we've never even spoken to, I don't think we've spoken to anyone who worked with him yeah have you ever spoken to anyone who worked with him no Um, we didn't know what he was going to be like yeah and he was he was very good he was very funny very yeah. talkative you know, because sometimes you can get these producers on, they fucking remember nothing. Yeah. You know, when they'll remember 
some things really vividly, but if you if you go into specifics about certain songs, yeah, they're gone. They're yeah. lost. Yeah, absolutely yeah. lost. Yeah. So yeah, again, topic this week. Great conversation with Joel with 1987. I mean, that is. It's interesting that that's the year you really feel like you got into it. Well, I was I was sixteen, going on seventeen. Yeah, okay. Well, that would explain it. To me, it was just more like, like wow, there's a lot of like really cool albums coming out. So and, my first, and the, and the sound my, is changing as well. My first know? Aerosmith album I heard was Permanent Vacation. Yeah, that's okay. Yeah, that's crazy to me. Yeah, <laughs> I the, the, I'd heard Pyromania, so when Hysteria came out, I heard a Appetite. Brand new, yeah. But at least, um, like, at least having permanent as like the first one you heard, at least there's still enough trails back to all the original stuff on that. Because after permanent, not a lot on pump, but really after that, it really starts to get kind of glossy and commercial, and starts to lose me. As a you know, but 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 permanent still goes back to things that you hear on rocks and things you hear on get your wings, and there's still something there. Yeah. And um uh, yeah, I don't know. So I think that's if you were going to have that, you know, that intro one it, I mean, god forbid your first one you heard was just push play, that would be disappointing. <laughs> <laughs> I just people out there that that was their first album. I know. And I there's know. people out there that the first Scorpions album was I Tie. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, this god. is George Lynch. Smoke this. Oh, Jesus uh, Christ. I <laughs> uh, I oh, Yeah, so man. like my first Anthrax album was Among the Living. 87. That's not bad to start with. Yeah. Um, I knew of the cult. Yeah. I, I talked to Joel a little bit about Electric. He wasn't really familiar with the band. Yeah. That's, um, that's, that's a... Yeah, we used to... In the cover band, I used to, used to play a couple cuts off of that. So, yeah. But there's there's albums in 87. I, I, I went on to Wikipedia, and I list, they listed all the albums, and I knew the ones I was going to talk to Joel with was... White Snake, yeah, Guns N' Roses. There's, there's albums I deliberately didn't talk to Joel about because yeah. later on this year, there's somebody else who's going to come on. Well, the thing too is, I mean, talk about when you start to talk to someone like Joel about 1987, like that 87 album is huge, not just because of all the singles and stuff out of it, but because it changed how albums sounded dynamically after that. That and Hysteria were the two. No, and Appetite. Because Appetite also had another whole way that it sounded, too. So you had the slick, Mutt Lang, everything pieced together, every note perfect stuff with all of the, the, the backing vocals and all of that. And, you had, and so you had that one. That was like School of Thought 1, that John Sykes stuff from 87 and, and the way that was produced and how it sounds. And, and then more of that gritty, raw thing that... that GNR put out that you start to see with like Faster Pussycat and Guns N' Roses, you know. Uh, I think even, you know, but my, you start looking through a lot of the bands, you start to see that they start pulling in that kind of the, the Mike Clink thing that's happening there instead. I think those are the three kind of recipes that pushed out for like hard rock at that point. Yeah, yeah, I suppose. And then, of course, you know. Kiss Crazy Nights and White Lion and an album at that year, uh, Pride and yeah. you know there was some fucking big records. Oh yeah, no, they, they, they definitely Hearts, were. Hearts, Bad Animals, 
had a loan on it and who will you run to that was a massive album too i know yeah, it's not metal but, but, but again you take that album and you say okay where does that go i mean that's that's ron nevison right and ron nevison had a sound right and but it's 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 the hysteria camp yeah yeah you know what i mean it's it it's not the very trebly and it's not the crunch yeah you know it's it's got a smoother sound it's 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 got all the vocals it's yeah, I think there's just those three recipes on there as well. And I think um, at that point, too, now you're, what, three years, four years into compact discs as well. And you start to get a little bit more dynamic range out of bass. You can put some more of that in. And, um, yeah, I think it just it starts to change a yeah. lot. Did, did Were you a fan of Dumb with Mirrors? Or did you think Permanent Vacation was a big improvement? It, it was a big improvement, but it was also because, obviously, huge Aerosmith fan. So the fact that, and, and seeing them around here, and and going from what they were to I've got like I've got bootlegs of them playing like little clubs in Rhode Island and stuff, and it, it's like sad. And then 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 they go away, and then here like they're back together, and and you start to be like, oh, I'm I'm gonna get. You know, get your wings again. I'm going to get rocks again. This is going to be great. You know, it, it was okay, but nothing on there was particularly memorable to me. And it was like, well, I'm a little bit underwhelmed by all of this, you know. And then Permanent Vacation comes out and it just it just had a little bit more riffing to it. It just it it just had. I think the other part, though, too, was that when I got done with Mirrors, I got that on vinyl. So it wasn't in the car with me. However, when I got permanent vacation, I got permanent vacation on compact disc. Mm. And then I could drive around with it. So it was that sinking in as well. So it was I was able to drive around, windows down, thing blaring. It, different, kind of a different listening experience than on vinyl. Yeah, I think a lot of the albums that came out in 87, because they were, that was the era that I really got into metal. I have a, a fondness for a lot of those records yeah. um, that a lot of people would not share. Uh-huh. Um, I love Crazy Nights. I love Hysteria. I love Paranormal Vacation. Paranormal Vacation is probably, if not, one of my favorite Aerosmith albums. Yeah. Um, great I, tour. Yeah. It was I, a great tour. With them and Dawkins. Great tour. Halloween, oof. Providence Civic Center. Nice. Yeah, great. Dawkins on the Back for the Attack album, too? Yeah. Oof. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Nice. But... um. I think when you get into these bands for the first time, the album that you listen to first, it mightn't even be their best, but you'll always have a soft spot for it. Like, Iron Maiden Somewhere in Time is probably my favourite Maiden album. And that was my first Maiden album I ever heard. It's it's a good album. Right, but a lot of people... It's not killers, but it's a good album. Yeah, but (laughs) that's what I'm saying. A lot lot of people might say, oh, Maiden, when Diano left, they were done. Or it has to be Peace of Mind or Number of the Beast. It can't Uh be anything else. But like my favorite Scorpions album is Savage Amusement, <laughs> right? <laughs> I know you're going to throw me out of the house, but, but it is because that was one that was the first new Scorpions album I ever. Yeah, uh, I ever see got. that one's different for me though because and Savage isn't bad, but for me it isn't that first because I was listening to you know stuff with the Zoo and all that. But for me the soft spot on that one is is uh, is Blackout. 
It just is. That album just it put it all together for me for the Scorpions. Yeah, but Blackout was already out seven years when I got into it. Right, but, from, but as far as a, a concept of the first one you hear from a band, I mean, that wasn't the first one I heard, but that's became like my instant favorite, yeah. always and will be. I love Turbo. Yeah. Absolutely love Turbo. Still to this day love it. Did you it. buy the remaster? I did not. Oh, the remaster. I'm going to have to let you borrow it. It's okay. fantastic. Um, the album after that, Ram It Down, rubbish. Yeah. That's I I think Ram It Down is more contrived than Turbo is. Yeah. It was, uh, it did a great job on the remaster. Really good. Yeah, but I bought, I bought it when it came out on vinyl. And then I bought it on CD. Yeah. And then I bought it when they re- when they did all the re-releases with the extra right. tracks. Yeah. But and you, get, you want get me a, to buy it again? A, yeah. You get a whole live, a whole two live discs yeah, with it. Yeah, I have it pre-slide. <laughs> it came out in '88. <laughs> it's great. It's great. <laughs> Gotta buy it. It's Priest. No. You gotta be a completist. No. I no. know. I'm you, fucking you, soft in the yeah, head. You, I know. You're the guy that fought uh, Countdown five times, isn't it? And I've got, I don't know how many, how many, I think I got five copies of Back in Black, too. Yeah, I know. Yeah, so they, they all came out in 87, and we've bought 10 versions of each since. Well, you know what that means, though? That at least after the divorce, it means I get at least one copy of it. Ooh. <laughs> Ooh. Fair Maybe enough. two. I could get two. Fair enough. <laughs> so I'm prepped. <laughs> Make sure it's the one with the bonus tracks. Absolutely, <laughs> and the vinyl—the vinyl that I bought the, the vinyl I bought the day it came out. Yeah, yeah. I remember when I when I had all my vinyl in Ireland. Uh, actually, when I I was living in Waterford, and then I moved to Dublin, which is a hundred miles north, and I left all my vinyl in Waterford. And then when I moved from Dublin to the states, um, my my mother called me up saying, "What do you want to do with all this vinyl?" I said, "Oh, I'll bring it all over here." It's not even worth any money, and I said, "I'm not telling you the ones that are, because <laughs> <laughs> some of them are." Oh yeah, I know. Yeah, yeah, that leather records Motley Crue one. Yeah. Oh, you have that? I have that. Yes. Wow, that's in. Uh, um, there's a classic rock I have in the house, and they they talk about some albums that came out in the '80s and how much they're worth. Yep. They only made a couple of hundred of those. Yeah, it? and that's what the that still has the green sticker on it, too. Yeah. Where is it? Cause I'll, I'll... <laughs> it's, in the, it's in the TARDIS room. Okay. <laughs> no, good for you. <laughs> when
Yeah, so I, I just think um, yeah, I think that was a good concept. And, and you're right. I think a lot of people probably remember fondly a lot of albums from 87. You know, Fondly good or fondly bad? No, I think fondly <laughs> good because I'm, not only was it listening, but it was MTV. Yeah, that was that was MTV. Yeah. Yeah. The funny thing, I remember the funny thing was when, when Hysteria came out, of course, Leopard were way, way, way bigger in the States. They nearly had to start from the ground up in yeah. uh, in Europe. Yeah. And, um, you know, it was just weird seeing Def Leppard on uh, on the likes of Top of the Pops. Sure. When they were playing arenas over here. Yeah. And uh, they, they, they really, had to, in a way, they had to start all over again in England. Yeah. Well, yeah, speaking of Leopard, that one of the good vinyls I have is uh, the original version of High and Dry without the keyboards. Ah. Just some fucking TARDIS room you have. Because it was like, because when that when that uh, video hit MTV, I'm like, keyboards, no keyboards, yeah. Well, I'm bringing on the heartbreak. Yeah, yeah. And this is like all keyboards now on that. So when I listen to the CD, it's like, oh yeah, well keyboards. But yeah, just I mean, I bought it when it like probably one of the first couple days it came out. So yeah, yeah. There's a lot of people. Well, a lot of all the hard rock people think that that's their best album. I think the real fans we think jam a lot to that one. That was for sure. Yeah, yeah, it's fabulous. Because from a um, from a musician perspective, like that's that's attainable. Then you listen to, to Hysteria, and you're like, "Holy fuck! How am I going to do that?" Well, I saw, I saw, I've seen Leopard at least ten times. So every time I go and see Leopard, they play. Love Bites or yeah. Animal or whatever, you know, and it's fine. They're still fucking great life. And um, I remember seeing them in, in uh, Mansfield, which is about an hour south of here, about yeah. four, three or four years ago. And um, they played uh, Love Bites and I decided to write Piss Break. Uh-huh. Right? So I got up and this guy says, hey man, how can you go to the bathroom? It's fucking Love Bites. Uh-huh. And I turned around and I said, I've heard him played like fucking nine times before. And then when I got back, I think they, they played like Let It Go or another hit and run. And uh-huh. I, I lost my shit. And uh-huh. I'm like, what the fuck? I was like, fucking yeah, <laughs> fucking high and dry. <laughs> you know, the, re- the real fan. Yeah. You know, and. Uh, no, it's when they play Hello America that you're like, yeah. <laughs> I've seen them. Uh, I've seen them play Wasted. Uh-huh. They great play, track. They, yeah, but they play they play a lot of that stuff in Europe. They won't yeah. even touch it here. It's a great track. I saw them in, in the Ambassador in Dublin on the X tour. And it was, it was like the Palladium uh-huh. at that stage. Over there, they were playing venues like that, and uh, they encored. They did the encore. I think they did photograph Rock of Ages, and then they came back out and played uh-huh. Wasted to finish. That's I love that track. Yeah, I love that track. Yeah, that's that's a that's a cool track. Yeah. yeah. So when when they did the residency in Vegas and they supported themselves and they pulled out all these old tracks. Yeah. Like some of them, Rick Allen hadn't played with one arm. Sure. Like th- that to me would be worth. Traveling to Vegas to see that, yeah, not to, not to not them do the Hysteria album, uh huh, to fucking do the the early songs, yeah, and, and yeah. somebody else your ones. Mm. I'd pay to see that now, mm. and I'm yeah. sure the band would love to play that, but they, they can't, their hands are tied, right? Yeah. Oh, and speaking of Def Leppard, Def Leppard, Poison, Tesla, Jesus Christ, lads, <laughs> fucking hell, bean counters. Yeah, I know, but you know what? It, it works out for me. So, <laughs> oh, you, oh yeah, you're going. I'm going. <laughs> I'll probably end up going as well, but fucking poison in the middle. My God. Well, the thing is, uh, Def Leppard and Tesla are like her 
two, two favorite well, bands. Le- yeah, but Leopard are brilliant. And she doesn't give a crap about seeing Poison either. She just wants she wants to go up and see Tesla and, and do you know Lep. Who's playing, um, and she went to Lep the last show you went. She yeah, went. do you know who's playing here in a couple of weeks' time is um, Last in Line. They're playing Laconia and they're playing Holyoke. Oh, they're playing that stupid bar in Holyoke? Yeah, it's about an hour and a half from here, isn't it? Yeah. They're playing La- they're playing, they're playing in Laconia. There? Yeah, they're playing it's in Laconia. Suck-hole. I know. Ugh. But last in line are playing it here and I'm thinking I'd I'd nearly I'd rather go to that now than see Leopard. Definitely. Yeah. These big gigs for me now, I, I, you know, are you going to Metallica? Yeah. You are? Yeah. Okay, how much did you pay for your ticket? Uh If you don't want to say it, that's fine cuz I've heard the prices are fucking extortionate. It was can't remember now. 116, I think. Where are you? You're in Foxborough now. That's 70,000 people. So are you on the are you, are you, on, the, are you on the floor? Or are you up on the stand? Or? I, I got it in through the Metallica Legacy. Oh, well, you're numbers. in the fan club. Yeah. Yeah, okay. So you got a pre-sale, Timmy. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. But the prices for that and the bill. Avenge Suckfold. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Some of the they have some good songs off the last couple albums. It's, they're not just Bat Country anymore. This this they've kind of embraced a lot of the other metal on there too that they've always liked. So who else is on the bill? Uh, Volbeat. Okay, it's awesome. Yeah, but what? Okay, so why why at this stage of their career can't Metallica bring out the likes of a Saxon and put them on the bill because they're going to sell tickets as Metallica? Yeah, right. Put fucking Saxon on the bill. Put them in front of 70,000 people for half an hour. Well, for one thing, I'm sure that part of it is the fact that Volbeat are probably great friends of Lars because they're Danish. And I'm sure they're trying to get them some more exposure in the U.S., which is great. Put them in front of all the Metallica fans and be like, oh, wow, these guys are really fucking awesome. Or bring out another 80s band. Bring out a band from the 80s. Bring out a band from the 90s. Bring out a band from the 2000s and then yourselves yeah, as headliner. I, I thought it was a pretty good bill. I mean, I can, whether I do A7X or not, whatever. But I'm definitely going to be there for Volbeat. Absolutely. We saw Volbeat. Well, you were sick. Yeah, I saw it with, with Hunter. Yeah, yeah you yeah. were ill though. Uh, was it that show? Yeah, it was Motorhead, Volbeat, Megadeth, and it was the Gigantor. They were on the bill. Volbeat were on the bill. No, yeah. that was the that was the other giga- gigantor. No, Volbeat were on the bill with Motorhead. Right, but the gig I was sick at was the with the Lacuna Coil. Yeah, that was the bill. Volbeat were on that. They they they, on, they came on. And the last song they played was "Rain and Blood" by Slayer. They played a snippet of that to finish off the show. They were definitely on the bill. Lacuna Coil, Volbeat, Motorhead, Megadeth. There were two Gigantors that we went to at the Songas. Well, the one I went to, Volbeat, were at it. Yeah. And there was Hank nobody. Sherman on guitars. Yeah, awesome. There, there was nobody at the venue. Yeah. It was piss poor attendance. Yeah. Which we I fucking railed about on the show a few years ago. Yeah. Saying, it was a great show. It was a great show, but nobody fucking turned up. Yeah. Which said, says a lot about fucking fans, so called fans of metal. But anyway. Yeah. But yeah, so you're paying. I think my. I've Maiden tickets. Yeah. Definitely going to Maiden. Yeah, I got Maiden tickets. But, uh... You gotta sitting fuck- on Yannick's side, buddy yeah. hell. You got to fucking pick and choose now, though, because all these summer shows, they come taken fast. But just while we're talking about Maiden, yes, Allison and Paul, I know. You guys are on Dave's side, I know. With all due respect, fuck you. I know, okay? I don't give a Anyways. shit what side I'm on. 
It's they'd, be giving me shit. Couldn't give they'd be giving me shit. I couldn't give a flying fuck whose side of the stage I'm on. And Yannick runs all over the fucking stage anyway, yeah, so know, he's going to be on your still, side at some stage. But no, he's going to be on my side most of the time. It's yeah. still Yannick's side. Yeah, but <laughs> the, the Ghost, I know fucking nothing about Ghost. No, but I'm going for Maiden. Well, so am I. I couldn't give a fuck about Ghost. Yeah, I'm going for Maiden. It's going to be great. You know what's going to be, you know you know what gig's going to be uh, a tough sell? Um, especially in Mansfield. It's Deep Purple and Alice Cooper. Yeah, yeah. That, that if they're playing twenty odd thousand, yeah, that's a tough sell. Yeah, and you know, because yeah, she asked me about that. Like you, you know, you want to go to you want to go to Deep Purple, and I was like, I don't know. Like, I just I don't know. I, I I'd like to go see Nita Strauss playing with Cooper because she's a shit hot guitar player, but like I don't know. I just I'm not really. I'm not really feeling it going to that one for some no, reason. No, that bill, it's, it's... Alice Cooper played Lynn. Yeah. The theater in Lynn. Yeah. And Deep Purple played the same theater in Lynn. Yeah. And now because you put the two of them together. So, yeah. so like, just say the Purple, theater... I mean, I saw Purple a couple times, too, and, and I do... I, Steve Morse is awesome. The, and I love watching the guy play. He's a great performer. Great I band. really enjoy watching him. And the band is great. And I just get to the point of, like, all right, Ian, just... Fucking stop the bongos, put on some fucking shoes. Like, what the fuck? Uh, it's like, ah, uh, I don't know. It just has to irk me, but that's me. The only reason I'd go is I think this is it for them. I've, I've only seen them a couple of times. Um, and I, I know for a show like this that I can wait a while, get a cheapie. Uh-huh. And it'll probably be the Def Leppard thing with me where I, they'll, some guy will come up in whatever section I'm in go downstairs you get an upgrade yeah and I'll get an upgrade and I'll be closer to the stage and I can yeah. say right I've seen Deep Purple for the last time yeah because I think Gillen's in his 70s Ian Pace I can't believe he's still coming <laughs> he's had a st- apparently he had a stroke yeah Um. so yeah I, I still you know I still may end up going I mean it's Mansfield but it's I know it's a long hop from here but it's a real short hop from her house so, yeah, yeah, it's like the one advantage. It's not the worst venue in the world either, but no, it's not. And you know that that'll be one you can wait a while to jump on board. You can nearly probably wait a couple of days beforehand and pick your seat. You know. Yeah. But, so we'll see. Yeah. So. Anyways, what do you say? Want to roll the uh, roll your talk with Joel? Yeah. Did a great job on it too, by the way. But yeah, uh, he was good. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So let's do that. Here, one more thing. Sure. Um. He did give a hint in that. I, I don't know what he got it about maybe writing with Coverdale. Oh, yeah. So maybe we have a, something there that's not, I don't know, maybe, maybe don't the know. words out there. Maybe Maybe they're doing more Deep Purple covers. <laughs> 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 All right. So anyways, this is the the great uh, discussion that Richie had with uh, with Joel Hoekster on uh, albums that influenced him from 1987. So I just want to get get into um, the Monsters of Rock Cruise just for a couple of minutes before we get into what I really have you on for. Um, how did you end up getting the band together for that? Were they on with other bands and you, it just happened to, to look out that way or, or how did that all come about? Um, 
Yeah, I mean, everything with that kind of starts with Russell Allen because he's like a, a must-have in that scenario for me. So um, Russell was kind of up for it. So I asked everybody basically from the CD, and um, as a couple of guys were booked, you know, Tony Franklin and, and Derek Sherinian, and it worked out that guys were on the boat. I just kind of looked and went, well, who's going to be on the boat? That would be you know, ideal replacements. And I mean, it like couldn't have worked out better. I mean, with Paul Taylor being on for uh, Tom Kiefer and winger, Tom, um, you know, I mean, not only playing uh, or Paul Taylor, not only playing the uh, keys, but guitar. I mean, it was just brilliant to have that for some of the heavier songs to have the second guitar and uh, Dave Z playing with Jeff Scott Soto on there. That's just like, okay, we got everybody. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, you know, it was really nice. And and Dave is, um, I work with him in Trans-Siberian Orchestra, so he's so detail-oriented. And I knew this was going to be the kind of thing we'd probably get a rehearsal on the ship, and that was it. So to do it right and try and make it sound as good as possible, it was going to require doing a lot of homework and, and you know, emailing about background vocal parts and things like that. And um, he's brilliant at that kind of thing. It's like him and I can have a conversation or an email just specifically laying out exactly what I'm going to sing and exactly what he's going to sing. And I know he'll come in at the, like, first rehearsal and have it all down, you know. So, um I think for for having one rehearsal on the ship and and getting it out in front of a crowd, I was really really happy with the way it went. Yeah, I think it kind of um, it validates the project when you can actually play it live because there's a lot of these um, like the supergroup albums that come out now, and I think they all want to play, but for some reason, a lot of them end up not doing anything live. Yeah, I think too. It's a lot of people they they have the mentality of like, well, the album's over, so I'm just going to give up on it. And I was like, well, I I don't know. I mean, who's to say? There's still a lot of people that never heard of it or never got it. So I took the opportunity to look at it like it gives it a little, um, you know, breath of new new life or new energy to be able to do a, a show to support it. And um, I mean, I'd like to do a couple other kind of spot things like that this year. We'll see if we can pull it off or not. But. Um, I, it's definitely like uh, something that's important to me. And I said that from the moment I made the album to kind of take it to that next level, one step up from the guys who just, you know, put out the album. Yeah. And how, how much actual rehearsal did you have? Did you, was it just the day before you all got in the yeah. same room? It was, it was really like, you know, like everybody did a lot of homework and those are guys that do great homework. I mean, that, that was the thing. All those guys were like, um, you know, Paul has that reputation too, as being one of those guys that he can just, you know, literally walk right into a gig and play it down. And I've done a lot of that in my career and Dave Z, I, I knew I could count on him in that department. So, um, you know, it, it was really like, and then you got really just solid pros from there, man, with Vinny and, and Jeff Scott Soto and Russell. So I was like, yeah, we're, we're going to be able to do this. <laughs> it's going to be a little stressful, but we're going to be able to do it. Yeah. And you, you played, what, three or four songs from 13 and then a, a spatter of covers and some Whitesnake stuff. Is that the we way it went five, down? We did five off of the album. Um, the first five songs off of the the record, and then we did um, a little Vinnie Apice spot of a Black Sabbath and Dio tune, which obviously it just lines up perfectly because Russell sings that stuff so amazing. And uh, and then we did a few White Snake tunes. Yeah, excellent, excellent. Well, I, I have to say I was really happy that that actually happened because I think one of the great things about the cruises are that's really at the moment the only environment where you can actually get all the guys together, and it, it just looked out. <laughs> 
That's really, I, I love that cruise for a lot of reasons. And that's another one of them. You're right, because you, you get everybody together. And I mean, it's pretty remarkable that on that cruise, I did three shows with, with Brandon Gibbs, my buddy who I've been doing acoustic shows with. And I had my own acoustic set where a bunch of people came up with me and I sat in with Inglorious and sat in with The Answer. Uh, I mean, it, it's like, wow, I, I did all of that stuff in four days. Like that's just you could never do that anywhere else other than all getting on that boat together. So, um, you know, it's like a floating microcosm of of the, you know, 80s hard rock scene, I feel like nowadays. Yeah, Um We've had Nathan James on from Inglorious. He's an incredible singer. I really can't wait for their new album. Yeah, I'm really, I'm really happy for him. I mean, they they ended up really uh, supporting the heck out of that first record and doing well with it. And um, I know Frontiers is really happy with those guys. They're happy to get a, a real band and that's out on the road and not just a super band that puts out an album. And um, you know, Nathan's a great dude. So really happy for him. <laughs> So have you on, Joel. We're going to talk a little bit about albums that came out in 1987. Now, I'm, I think, about seven months younger than you are, and I don't play an instrument, but I was about 16 at the time, and a lot of the albums that came out that year had a massive influence on, on what music I listen to now. And I'm thinking, what, what stage were you at playing guitar when you were around 1987, when you are about 16 years old? So I was a junior in high school and I was in my very first band, uh, probably like about a year into it. Cause I joined them when I was 15, I believe. So, uh, outcry was the name of that band and we had our own originals and there's some studio recordings that exist. They're, they're pretty awful, but, um, you know, nonetheless, it was a great experience for me. And we did a lot of covers, uh, a lot of docking stuff. As I remember, that was a big thing with us. And, uh, that was a great experience for me. I was like just getting getting started gigging. Yeah, and what what other hard rock bands around eighty six, around just before eighty seven were you into? Were you like big Van Halen guy, big Aerosmith guy? Were you into trash metal at all? Uh, 
I, I hung out with thrash metal guys and around that time, guys that were really into Slayer and everything like that, but I was not as into it. I dug it a little bit, you know, uh, definitely like Metallica in that era, like that ride the lightning and master of puppets. I thought were cool albums. That's about as heavy as I get though. And a little bit of Slayer here and there for me, you know, back then. But, um, for the most part, I've always kind of been a guy who likes a little bit of melody involved a little more melody than that so i started out total hard rock acdc sabbath iron maiden ozzy uh scorps um and then i would say i say to people as i got a little older some of like the more uh, melodic stuff kind of took over too like um you know journey foreigner triumph uh was a big influence on me rick emmett uh, yeah, just bands like that that weren't weren't total like heavy metal or you know really heavy, but had cool jams and melody. And I always liked the classic rock stuff too, you know Zeppelin and and Hendrix and all that stuff. I always enjoyed that even through the eighties. I, I thought that stuff was cool, and so that stuff was an influence on me. And, and guitar albums were really big for me. I think really big for all guitar players, actually more than everybody wants to admit. It's like the, all those, that wave of the shred thing that hit was really big, you know, with uh, the Ingve Malmsteen and Vi and Satriani. And those guys were all influences on me in terms of opening up what lead guitar was about. Yeah. And that it was two big instrumental albums came out in 87. It was uh, Surfing with the Alien and Tony McAlpine's Maximum Security. Were you, were you on board with those two straight away when they came out? I had those. I had both of those albums. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I really loved the. I liked. I had somebody turned me on to Satriani when Not of This Earth was out. So before Surfing with the Aliens. So uh, I was actually waiting for Surfing with the Alien to come out. I remember, and um, and it was great. I, I definitely listened to a lot of that as a kid, and. Um, what what else? So you said the maximum security. Yeah, I had that record, and that uh, that had my friend Jeff Watson guesting on there, I believe, as well, right? Yeah, and George Lynch too. And George Lynch, that's right. Yeah, and Tony, of course, is a he's an amazing piano player too. He's which, such yeah, he's such a talent and a very nice guy too. From the times I've uh, spoke with him, he's a really really nice guy. Yeah. You know, I can't not talk about albums from that year without talking about the White Snake one, the '87 album. Yeah, um, I, was, I wore that out. That's for you sure. Did, you did. <laughs> I, absolutely, I did. Yeah, that's I like most Americans. That was kind of our uh, exposure to White Snake. Um, 
when we were young. I mean, that like uh, slide it in was really the first one we all started. Kind of started hearing about White Snake, and then the '87 album. Everybody wore it out because there was it was just so big with MTV and all that stuff. And uh, and then after that, the anticipation for Slip of the Tongue and. Uh, was really huge and actually that record was really big it just being on the heels of 87 it almost seemed like anticlimactic in a weird way but um you know it's funny nowadays with where the bar is set for rock and roll i listen back to that slip of the tongue stuff and i go man there were so many just cool tunes on there you know i mean judgment day is a jam dude and yeah and, and sailing ships and all that stuff is just you know great stuff yeah, and there's some of the tracks on um, on the '87 record I loved, and they're kind of they're not the singles. I love um, "Don't Turn Away" and "Looking for Love" is a fantastic song as well. Yeah, "Don't Turn Away" is awesome, man. I love that one. Yeah, and you think uh, you think David will ever crank that one out, or? What, what? I mean, there's there's been some talk about. Um, you know, replicating that at some point. So I don't know. I mean, all that stuff is up to DC. We'll see. That would be a lot of fun, though. I have to say, it'd be really cool. Uh, last year was similar to that in a way, though, because I mean, we did the the greatest hits tour, and so much of those greatest hits was the '87 album, really. So um, it would just take some minor tweaking to do a solid '87 record. Yeah, and w- was Sykes a big influence on you even before the '87 record? He was like, I think inadvertently, just no, just the 87 record, really. Um, I mean, but that was, you know, I definitely learned that stuff back then or was or some semblance thereof, you know. I don't know if I was covering it note for note. I was pretty young, uh, but I was definitely into it and definitely learned the riffs and things like that. And I think some of the leads here and there. Yeah. Yeah. And when, when you go out now with, with Reb, um, and you do the '87 songs. What solos do you do you take take now? Or like, do you do you decide which ones to do? Or no, it's all up to Reb, really. So Reb's pretty cool about all that stuff. We we have a a good uh, a rapport, I think, as a guitar team and all that stuff. David likes to pick a band leader and someone who's kind of the um, the guy who makes those decisions. But Reb is, you know, he he's never been the kind of guy that wanted to do every solo, and neither am I. So. Um, Certainly, you get to play so much guitar in a White Snake show. I mean, we each have our own solo to begin with, so right out of the gate, um, that's something different. I, I haven't done that since the band I'm talking about. The Outcry was the last band I was in where I played a solo all alone on stage before White Snake. Isn't that amazing? Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, I've been through this whole career of making a living in music and never did that outside of that very first band I had. So Wow, wow. And of course, the other big album that came out that year um, is Def Leppard's Hysteria. Yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. And um, were you were you a Pyromania guy before that? What did you think of Hysteria when it came out? Because it, it's so polished. Yeah, I liked I liked Def Leppard uh, leading up to that. I liked them all the way from the beginning, and uh, I I never questioned any of the slickness until Hysteria. You know. Was the first time even as a kid i was like well it's starting to sound like you know you listen to it, you're like that almost doesn't sound like a real band but it still sounds great you know there's something so cool about the production of it that uh there's definitely some of those tunes are amazing it's really well written well produced stuff um i prefer it honestly probably a little edgier than the hysteria stuff but um it's all good i like pyromania i think is probably the i think they're the the best blend of the the two yeah, I think what a lot what a lot of people. I, I'll be honest with you. When I heard, I loved Paramania, and when I heard Asteria for the first time, 
I thought it was terrible. I, I thought it was overproduced, too slick, um, wasn't heavy enough on the guitars. And mm-hmm. I just kept listening to it again. And, and eventually it just wormed its way into my brain and it just took over my brain. And now it's just a, a masterpiece from beginning to I, end. I think, honestly, I never... I may have never bought Hysteria. I think I just listened as the singles came out because everything became a single off of there. And didn't they lead with, was it Rocket was the first one? Or they had something, their first single choice was weird off of that, I remember. And it was like, all right, that wasn't the best song because when other songs started coming out, I was like, all right, well, that's a better one. And um, I just remember the flow of that album being marketed like, I guess at the t- as a kid, you don't realize that's what it's about. But the first song that they released, I didn't really like. And then um, I heard like the follow-ups and really did. And, you know, I mean, as it stands, like I said, I, I probably prefer Pyromania to it. Yeah, but, I think I think the first single was Women. I think it was the lead-off track and it didn't okay. do anything. Yeah, it did. yeah, I just remember the, the first single being like not the greatest and then uh, and then liking it a lot after that. Yeah, and um, of course, Dokken released Back for the Attack that year, and you you said you were big into Dokken. Yeah, I I liked that record a lot, actually. I I listened to a lot of Dokken when I was a kid. Yeah. When I remember when that came out was how long it was. It was like over an hour long. I think the CD had just started to uh, to, to be manufactured at the time. And I actually spoke to Jeff Pilsen about it because I said, you know, did the record company, like, did they give out to you for like, like, did they kind of push against you doing it that long? Because normally albums are like 40, 45 minutes. And he said, no, we had all the material and they went with it. Hmm. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. Well, yeah, I got to obviously the opportunity to work with Jeff a little bit for a minute when I filled in for Mick and Foreigner, and that was cool, and to get to know him, and, and we're still kind of buds and keep in touch, and uh, George Lynch has been really nice to me, uh, amazingly, I don't know why, <laughs> it's just like every time I see him, he's so nice to me and compliments me, and I'm like always just amazed he even knows who I am, because he's George Lynch, you know, but uh 
but anyway, that's yeah. I got nothing but good things uh, or good vibes uh, about all that stuff. And I had one night at a bar with Don when uh, back at Rocklahoma too. Uh, that was a fun memory for me. Yeah, and would would Back for the Attack be your favorite docking record, or are you like a tooth and nail guy, or under lock and key? Yeah, that's going to be another one where it's tooth and nail. I think you know, there's something about that under lock and key got a little like like you know all, all the drums were getting really wet right around that that 87 time right yeah i honestly i think that the the 80 87 and kind of on the end of the 80s where, where the 80 scene was losing a little something to me i kind of liked a lot of the band virtuosity elements that were around in the late 70s where bands were virtuosic together yeah. Um, and I think in the late 80s, it became very much like drums and bass were, you know, lay it down. And then the guitar was the virtuoso and, um, you know, a singer that could scream real high. It was kind of that that formula that was going on. But I don't know. I, there, There's good elements of during all times. I hate I guess shouldn't generalize that much. Yeah. No, I know you're a big ACDC fan when you were growing up. Um the Cult released the Electric album in 87 and Rick Rubin produced it and everyone thought that that was a, a knockoff of ACDC. Did, did you hear that at the time when it came out as well? Uh, you know, I don't think I listened to it. I'd have to hear like what the single was. I was not a cult guy. Okay. Okay. I think Love Removal Machine is on that and Little no, Devil I is on it. I don't any of those guys or any of their fans. I, I just think in, yeah, where I grew up for some reason that just wasn't like in the... Um, you know, all that stuff like when we were you're in high school was so cultural back then. There was like either side that you were on. Like my my school was so uh jock and football oriented, we called it, you know, like did the jocks and there was the jocks and the burnouts, you know, and the burnouts were into Dio and Sabbath and whatever, you know. It was like we couldn't like uh U two or Bruce Springsteen. That was jock music, you know. <laughs> Nowadays I totally love, you know, U two and, and Bruce Springsteen and I'm much more open minded, but back then it was very much like a cultural war you know you had to you had to pick your sides and i think the cult almost uh, fell more into that jock category oddly enough yeah they were one of these chameleon bands they kind of did different things on on, on different albums and um you could never really pigeonhole their sound mm-hmm. but um were you a big motley crew fan at all joel i only really liked shout at the devil there was something cool about that. I think I was in junior high when that came out, maybe seventh or eighth grade. And, you know, there's some cool tunes on there, definitely. Uh, Too Young to Fall in Love is a jam. Looks That Kill is a jam, you know. Yeah. So there's some songs that I like, but in general, not really. I yeah. mean, I, I was not a big crew guy. Um, Theater of Pain was really kind of, eh, you know, Uh Disappointing. I tried to. Th- what, what did they have out at the '87 era? Girls, girls, girls. Oh yeah, not a fan of that tune. And um, but hey, you know, I mean, whatever. That doesn't mean that's just my opinion. You know, they're uh, obviously their legacy speaks for itself. They they had an awesome, awesome run. So yeah, and of course, the the big album that came out in '87, that the comeback album that really brought them back was Aerosmith's Permanent Vacation. Yeah, I mean, I you know, I like all the Aerosmith uh, revival stuff. I know a lot of people don't and don't think it was cool. There's only a couple of them I'm not that fond of. But for the most part, I like all that stuff. I think it's good good songwriting and um, and great playing and good musicianship. And Steven Tyler is like one of the best singers ever. So Yeah, I think there's some really 
deep cuts on that uh, permanent vacation. Title track is brilliant. St. John is brilliant. Um, Hangman Jewelry is a great song. I, I know it's got Ragdoll and Dude Looks Like a Lady on it, but it's got some really <laughs> cool songs on it. Well, uh, yeah, the, yeah, those those would maybe be a couple that I was referring to that maybe I didn't like from that era. But, it, you know, it's all good, man. Aerosmith is just a great band. And I think if for that era they did need to focus maybe a little bit more on the songwriting and melodic uh, elements to survive, and they did it, man. Good for them. I mean, talk about coming back like and being bigger than ever. Yeah, and what was your take on Appetite for Destruction the first time you heard it? Um. I liked it. I mean, I still, I still feel like the same way about GNR. Like that's they fall into that category for me of like good bands. Some of that stuff are great songs. Uh, um, Welcome to the Jungle and and Sweet Child of Mine are obviously like those are masterpieces. You know, like amazing tunes. But I ne- I fall short on them with categorizing them as like I think some people view them as like a Zeppelin or a Stones kind of level of like and I for me they don't get they don't uh meet that mark but um but they definitely had great tunes you know yeah I just I just want to touch on another couple of albums Joel before I let you go um Macaulay Shanker had their first record Michael Shanker Rob Macaulay um how big an influence was Shanker on you when you were growing up but mainly because I had a teacher that was into him and I remember him teaching me like the solos to Rock Bottom and Lights Out in London and um, uh, that was that was pretty much the extent of it though um, like oddly enough my Scorpions window really began not really with the Yuli or the Michael stuff but it began with Matthias you know because by the time I, I got into rock he was in the band and that was kind of what I dug you know now I've gone back and obviously uh grown like have a deeper appreciation for michael schenker but like i said those learning those solos when i was younger was where he definitely made his mark on me though yeah and another one of my favorite rush album was released in 87 i don't know if you're a big fan um hold your fire are you a, were you a, an 80s rush guy or a 70s rush guy or were you even a rush I'm fan not, at all rush all the way through uh, um I mean, I just think that that might be the best band of like my lifetime, just because of they've they've like kind of survived all the the styles and style changes and everything like that. And I think they always sounded unique and 
and sounded cool and created um, amazing music. There would probably be, never be another one because a label would never support anybody releasing like all those initial albums that they did. And um, but yeah, I mean, it's such a cool band. You know, how can you not like Rush if you're a player, man? You just you got to appreciate the fact that those guys um, all just play so great and were creative and and wrote very interesting, unique music. And and also some, I think you know, the perfect stuff for me was just the moving picture stuff, where it was the hybrid of like, you know, the prog thing with just writing memorable hooky stuff. You know, that's the the stuff that I I really liked the best. But yeah, I, I liked a lot of the stuff they did with all the synths and all that stuff. Sure, there was still it was still good. Now, especially you compare that to anything that's coming out nowadays, you know, you go, well, the musicianship was like insane, you know. Did you go to, did you, have you seen Rush a lot over the years? Have you, like for different eras? Like, have you gone to see a lot of their shows? Uh, I went to a few. I wouldn't say like, you know, not, I didn't go to like, you know, follow them around the country or anything crazy. I think I went to like three Rush shows in my lifetime. Yeah, Joel, you should see, um, the new documentary they've got out, Time Stand Still. They've got all the fans in it and they all know exactly how many shows they've gone to. It's insane. Wow. <laughs> well, what was the one what was the documentary they released with everybody commenting on them and their, their history and um it wasn't yeah. time since what was the one out a couple of few years ago? Uh, beyond was... Beyond the Lighted Stage. Yes, I watched that a couple of times. I really enjoyed that. Yeah, it was well done. So before I let you go, Joel, what, what do you have coming up um, that you can tell me about? <laughs> I don't know whether you've got anything going with, with David Coverdale or... Um, well, I mean, next up for me, I'm right about to leave the consulate rock and roll fantasy camp, um, which is going to be a lot of fun. I'll uh, get to play with uh, Glenn Hughes and uh, Steve Morse there. It's a Deep Purple theme camp and, and Ian Pace. So excited about that. And then after that, I'm going to... Uh, teach it at Musicians Institute for a day, and then some gigs with uh, acoustic gigs with my friend Brandon Gibbs um, from Devil City Angels. We've been doing some shows together just for fun, you know, and uh, got a few of those coming up. And then I'm going to go out and work with David a little bit. Uh, this is just the the stuff in March, so run out there. And then I have a benefit in LA. I'm playing Rock Against MS um, in late March, and just trying to fill up the calendar, man. It's going to be a fun year. I got some shows that I'm playing with Cher um, in May. That's going to be interesting. <laughs> is that a tu- is that a tour or is that a Vegas thing? She's it's like a Vegas sit down thing. Nice. Yeah. Um, yeah, it should be something fun and different for me this year. So um, yeah, I'm just kind of take take in the year as it comes and see what I can do but uh, I'm going to see if I can find another opportunity or two for um, you know Joel Hooksters 13 to, to come together and do another couple shows hopefully excellent see what we can do and then at the end of the year I should be doing the Trans-Siberian Orchestra tour of course so. yeah how long have you been doing that now Joel this would be uh, tour number seven I wow. think yeah this winter it's amazing how popular that's at the getting yeah, it's really something, man. It's just, it's been really a blast for me to be a part of. Um, it's just such a phenomenal production and, and uh, just a great group of guys, too. I love all the guys in the band. Excellent, excellent. Well, I'll leave you go, Joel. Thanks for uh, just giving me some time to uh, go down memory lane with me and talk about some albums. All right, my pleasure, man. Thank you so much for having me on, Richie. And if you're out on the road sometime, I'll hopefully you'll come nearer here where I am and I'll get to say hello to you. All right, sounds good. Yeah. All right, Joel. Have a good rest of the night. Okay, you too. All right, thank you. Okay. All right.
Right. All right, metalheads. That is it for another episode of Focus on Metal. Hope you enjoyed uh, Richie and Joel's trip down memory lane as they explored 1987. So I don't know what is in store for next week. I know lots of things that we uh, have going on right now. In fact, the night that I'm mixing this one down, Richie is out hanging out at the Palladium with Overkill doing an interview with Bobby Blitz. I know uh, just minutes ago they were nice enough to send me a picture of Bobby flipping me the bird. So I'm sure that we'll be airing that one very shortly. But we have a lot of other things we've been doing lately as well. A few other interviews in the can. So just going to figure out what it is we want to bring to you next week. There is, however, a very high possibility that next week I'll be bringing you a chat that I had with Bumblefoot from Art of Anarchy. And in case you don't know, those guys are releasing their new one, The Madness, on uh, this Friday. So some pretty good tunes to be had on that one. And I had, again, a nice conversation with Bumblefoot all about. So again, uh, on the probability scale, that one's pretty high that uh, we'll be playing that chat for you next week. But uh, in the meantime, while you're waiting to find out what the heck it is we're doing next week, you can always keep up with us on Facebook or on Twitter. And uh, you want to catch yourself some more Focus on Metal, you can head over to focusonmetal.net. Go over to the episodes page. Five years worth of stuff to be had on that page. And if that isn't enough and you're looking to get some more audio goodies, again, point your browser over to earpeeler.com. Lots of good stuff to be had over there. But as far as we are concerned with Focus on Metal for the week, stick a fork in it. This puppy is done. So for Richie, myself, and everybody else here at Focus on Metal, have yourselves a great metal week. And until we talk to you again next week, remember... Focus on Metal! Everything else is insignificant. Still here? It's over. Go home.